The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Thank you very much, Brian. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans, and here I am. Welcome to The Exchange. Coming up this hour, leaning short, David Tepper was famously long the Fed-driven market last decade, but now he says he's leaning short on stocks because of it, and the market is backing him today. Look at these numbers, the Dow down 675. We'll look at why and whether he's right, plus some new developments in the FTX case. We'll have the latest on that, plus on shares of hard-hit Coinbase. One of my guests remains bullish on the stock and sees Coinbase quintupling from here. She makes her case ahead. And from a perfect storm for retail to an actual storm that could derail your travel plans, we'll talk to retail legend Mickey Drexler about all of that. But first, let's get to Dom Chu. Dom, look at the NASDAQ, 3.4% in the chips. It's getting pretty bad. Awful. It's getting pretty bad. And here's what we're going to point out. So it's been a tilted negative day pretty much from the get-go. But we are just about at session lows right now. For the Dow, that means about 690 points, pushing minus 700 at this stage right now, down over 2%. 2.5% declines, over 100 points to the downside for the S&P 500, which, by the way, currently stands at 37.77. And the NASDAQ composite, we'll call it the epicenter of today's market meltdown. So we're down about 3.5%, 365 points. This is just about minus 369 was the session low so far. Even at the highs of the session, we were still down 110 points for the NASDAQ composite. That tech-heavier trade in the NASDAQ is what we're going to focus on because a lot of the negativity has come from a specific part of the market, technology, and even within that, some of the worst performers in the market within the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 500 are chip-related stocks. Now, Micron didn't help with their after-the-bell earnings report yesterday. Disappointing results, disappointing outlook, and then has carried through into equipment makers like Lamb Research down 11%. Applied materials down 9%. Even NVIDIA and advanced micro devices, two of the bigger names in chips that aren't necessarily memory, are down anywhere from 7 to 9% right now. So keep an eye on those chip stocks. And then, of course, one of the big, big movers to the downside that's been highly publicized over the course of the past 12 months has been shares of electric vehicle giant Tesla. Those shares are down 10% right now. Over the last couple of years, I'm showing you a two-year chart because you're going to have to go all the way back to September of 2020 it's for a down level more than like this. 10% now right and so we're talking about Kelly and you've made this point before a one and a quarter trillion dollar company at the highs Wow now about 75% of its value shed in that time so it's this is a big deal for sure come on over Dom there's so much more to talk about uh, again Tesla shares for those following along and everybody is at this point down more than 10% $123 right now uh, the flip side of Fed liquidity coming out of the market, maybe. And on that note, Squawk Box this morning saw hedge fund manager David Tepper saying these global rate hikes are making him pretty uneasy about stocks. Listen. I would probably say I'm leaning short on the equity markets, you know, so right now, because I think they're, you know, I think the upside downside just doesn't make sense to me when I have so many people telling me, so many central banks telling me what they're going to do, what they want to do, what they expect to do. 
David Tepper also saying he'd be short bonds, by the way, especially that two-year. Let's get reaction to, to Tepper from Dave, uh, Jason Brady. He's president and CEO of Thornburg Investment Management. He joins us along with Rick Santelli watching those bond markets for us out in Chicago. And, of course, uh, Dom Chu is here as well. Rick, let me just start with you. And we all remember David Tepper famously set up the entire market landscape last decade when he said, basically, go long the Fed. Either way, you're going to get bailed out uh, and you're going to see stocks kind of rally. This now feels like he's he's saying the opposite. It does. And and I can clearly understand why and everything he says makes sense. I just think that there may be a bit of a timing issue. Yes, global central banks are all snugging up, removing stimulus, trying to correct mistakes of keeping rates much too low for much too long. And in the U.S.'s case, not only that, but of course, some of the policies enacted, some of the spending, some of the issues to address COVID seem to have gotten out of spending control. But our Fed is way ahead of the curve in that regard. Other central banks may need to play catch up. So I completely understand and agree with Mr. Tepper regarding the bullish bounces we've had in a bear equity market. I think all of the central banking activity is going to make it very difficult for the stock market globally. I think a global recession is pretty much baked in the cake. Where I come to disagree with him a bit is on the central bank and what he's looking at to accomplish in the Treasury complex. Rick. I do think that we've seen. Yeah, go on. No, no, no. I, I was going to just jump in and say why, you know, small question. Why are we down so much today? Right. I mean, every time we every 10 minutes now, it feels like the Dow shedding another 40, 50 points. We're down more than 700. Well, I think a couple of reasons. I think that the ECB's gotten much more hawkish. Boone yields today closed very near levels that were the highs of the year. And those highs of the year represent 11-year high yields going back to 2011. I also think that when you look at what's going on with regard to the electric vehicle market, now Tesla, it could be a variety of reasons I don't want to weigh in. It certainly seems, though, the minute he touched Twitter, the minute he started talking about what he perceived as free speech, many investors that did buy his stock, not based on financial reasons as much, did turn away. But I think the entire complex is starting to suffer for good reasons. The, the head of Toyota was in a Wall Street Journal article not long ago saying many of these car companies are over their skis, probably spending too much money. Consider this. If yeah. the globe goes into recession, you think all these startup car makers and EV makers are going to be able to afford the burn rate that we're seeing now? No, of so course. I think we are continuing to see a snugging up there. But I do think you got to be careful with treasuries Two years might have seen their highs. The re-steepening of the curve, less inverted yield curve, mm -hmm. is important to note. Two-year note yields on the week are up about six basis points. Ten-year note yields are up about 18. The curve twos to tens has moved into about minus 57 from well over 80. The market's telling us something, that the Fed, unlike other central banks, I don't care what they say, they're most likely much further to the end of the chapter and curve trades are getting reversed. And that's what's going on the last couple of days. That's very interesting to highlight. Jason, I see you shaking your head. Do weigh in here. Well, actually, I think Rick is exactly right in the context of thinking about where are we in this normalization process? So uh, the Fed has moved well over 400 basis points. A year ago, our expectation as a market was that they would move 100. So this has been enormous, a yeah. huge, huge change. 
and we're probably more at the end than the beginning of their moves. Now, why is the market down Jason, so much today? If, of course, if, if, I was going to say, if we're more at the end than at the beginning, why are we down another 3.5% on the NASDAQ? You know, why are we concerned now about the chips? Why are we thinking now the auto sector has excess inventory? It feels like they're all telling us these shoes are, are still yet to drop. I think we're seeing a confluence of where is the where is the economic data, which is still pretty good, right? We saw consumer confidence, what, 24 hours ago, a little more. That was great. Um, consumer confidence still looking good. Banks still healthy. Uh, there seems to be a pretty good consumer balance sheet out there. Meanwhile, some companies' forecasts for earnings are more troubled, Micron being a great example of a more cyclical yeah. name. So I think it's that confluence where we say, hey, look, the Fed's not going to necessarily cut soon, although I think sooner than they think they, mm. that they will. But the Fed's not going to cut so soon, so we're going to have this weight, this higher cost of money, which is going to be more challenging, especially for more tech-heavy names. So, Dom, we have Micron. Okay, so do we blame them for the Nasdaq being down? Why, why is Micron down 5% but Lamb's down 11%, right? I, what is that all telling us about this highly cyclical, usually leading part of the market? It doesn't feel like it's a good sign. Or applied materials, right? So yeah. LAM and applied materials are kind of in the same business. They make the equipment that makes computer chips. If you have a supply problem, if you have an inventory problem, a possible glut happening, that probably means that you're not going to have to make as much going forward before you clear out the inventory. Now, that's an overhang for, for memory chip makers. Then that sentiment is carrying through. Uh, more to the discussion about the rates and the global economy slowing down. I mean, there's been so much negativity about what, what it could be like for a recession, whether it's going to be shallower, soft landing, or whatever it is. I guess maybe one of the things that a lot of investors are trying to grapple with right now is whether or not the earnings picture. We've, we've spoken a lot about multiples over the course of the last several months, yeah. about how higher interest rates means that there's an alternative. Opportunity costs are now more profound, and then that could mean valuations come down. Right. Well, right now, the earnings story isn't all that dire, at least not for right now. So Even a lower multiple even could be a decent right. price. So, so, yeah. so, so what you have is a multiple contraction, even on earnings, that may not be as bad as people fear. And this could be an earnings season, by the way, coming up, where CEOs are just going to take the opportunity to guide lower Kitchen because they can. Yeah. Because they well, can. Well, look at yesterday, Rick. We were talking about Nike and FedEx and how great, hey, maybe earnings season won't be that bad. And then today it's taking down the whole market. And, Rick, I also wanted to ask you this because it strikes me we're talking about one leading indicator, let's call it the yield curve, looking better today, while other leading indicators, like the chip sector, for instance, are looking a lot worse. Can you, can you, why are they at odds? Well, I think they're at odds because when you look at the yield curve, it isn't necessarily, you know, don't think about it in recessionary terms. Think about what the behavior is behind the scenes by investors. Okay, they're finally starting to challenge the two year, which they think the Fed's closer to the end. They're being more aggressive in selling longer dated treasuries. And those are normally considered to be spongy when you think we're going into recession. I just think that the U.S. will fare better if the Fed has more uh, confidence in the self-adjusting mechanisms right. of the Treasury complex. Their guidance isn't going far. And as to your question directly, I think the equity markets have big problems. So when I look at Nike yesterday or when I look at Micron, I don't look at it the same way as other investors. When it's going up, to me it's a bounce and a bear market and they need to be challenged. We've been having central banks manipulate markets. We still have the Bank of Japan ownership in markets beyond the pale. It's going to be painful trying to normalize. We've barely scratched the surface. Do you agree with that, Jason? 
Well, I actually think that uh, on one hand, it's not necessarily at odds in the context of when you actually see the curve re-steepen, um, that's actually the beginnings of sort of when the recession really occurs. So what it means is the Fed, the market's believing the Fed is going to start to say, oh my gosh, this is getting bad. Um, with regard to, you know, the Fed having a lot of problems, that reminds me of George Costanza and the Festivus, uh, where he's got a lot of problems with these people. I think the Fed does have a lot of problems with the, with the equity market. Um, and one thing we do have to understand is that they actually have said almost outright that they'd like to see it go down. Um, that's, that's a significant headwind. I just think that headwind over the next six months is going to go away, and the real headwind is going to be actually what the evolution of the economy. Well, this is not a very optimistic outlook, Dom Chu. <laughs> oh, okay, so here's, here's what I would say. Because, of, because there's been so much uh, emphasis on the negativity, I'm, I'm generally a positive person, no doubt, but you, you can't ignore what's happening to the point of Jason and Rick right now. But, but what I would say is, in the context of what's happening right now, there, there is an opportunity being presented for a lot of investors out there. We often talk about the difference between hedge funds and short-term traders, day traders and swing traders versus those people who are investing for the long term. These are opportunities right now, both in fixed income and equities, for some of the biggest names out there that have now been placed on discount to the tune of 10, 15, 25, 50, 75 percent. Sure. That could be some of the biggest bounces in the event that things actually do get better or are not as bad as people feared. So if you're a long-term investor out there... Or even if they do get bad, you say, well, look beyond that. (laughs) A a year to two or three. I mean, this is, again, this is not because I'm I'm saying that I I think I'm right or wrong on on long or short, but if you believe that the economy for the United States and the world grows over time and will continue to mark the upward advance of mankind, this is a a time for you to to, to own some of these big blue blue chip names at a steep discount. But, Rick, I can hear the the young people in the crowd going, yeah, forget it. You know, I'm not betting on that. Forget it. You know, give it what Rick, give us give us kind of something here that you would hang your hat on. And especially if we're about to enter a period where uh, we actually see the recession come to pass. We see more uh, downside for stocks. But to Dom's point, you got you know, you got to look somewhere for opportunities. Yeah. And being and I consider myself a realist. So to answer the question, that's easy. Just because I think these bounces in stocks are bounces in a bear market doesn't mean we shouldn't put our toe in the water. I think, as Dom has pointed out, stocks can be viewed as on sale. The issue is when the sales end. If, you know, I have younger kids, and I tell them that this is the time you're supposed to be grabbing stocks that in the past were too pricey, a little too over leveraged, you know, bought too much on margin. All of that is coming home to roost. But there are good deals. I agree with the professor that's always on CNBC with Wharton. Mm-hmm. If you're a young person, you need to start investing. But just don't look for those returns. Look very promising in the near term. And in terms of interest rates, I'll tell you what, uh, when, when Mr. Tepper today was talking about listening to central banks, uh, maybe he ought to look at their track record. <laughs> well, I just think, speaking of track record, Starbucks, I think you could have gotten for under $5 a share during the financial crisis, Jason. So it's not always obvious, you know, for instance, is Tesla a deal here, Jason, or not? I mean, it's down 10% today. It's lost half its value in, I don't know, just the past couple of months, basically. Where do you say there's obvious places that people need to pounce? I actually think it's places that look a little bit the opposite of Tesla. So is Tesla a platform company? Is Tesla have, does, it, does it have a sustainable long-term business? The answer is yes, more than it did five years ago because it really took advantage of very low rates to build an extremely impressive array of vehicles, et cetera. But I don't think it's as much of a platform as, as other names, whether it's 
JP Morgan or Citigroup, or if you want to talk about tech, Microsoft or Apple, those are platform companies. If you look at multiples, they've come down a lot. That's a really big deal. But actually, they're still the sort of high multiple names are still at a significant premium relative to history. I can build a great international global portfolio of platform companies with an average PE well under 16 or 15, more like 12 or 13. But it's, if people go, okay, you have Tencent, Yum China, Walmart, Mexico. I mean, people might say, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That makes me nervous. You have FX risk, you know, and all the rest of it. Uh, you do, and we've we've seen something like we've seen the dollar be very very strong, and maybe if the Fed is more towards the end, and uh, the ECB and the BOJ are actually playing catch up, that could reverse. But those are those are examples of again steady businesses, platform companies that are relatively cheap. They're part of a broader portfolio, of course. But that's that's much more interesting to me hmm. as an investor than trying to guess. Well, Tesla was way up here, now it's down. Whatever it's down. Saying it's down 50 or 70 percent indicates that where it peaked actually had some value from an information perspective. Uh, totally. I'm not totally. sure that that's true. Rick, what would you say? You know, I, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but anything that has to do with energy, if you're investing in it, and when I say energy, I'm talking about fossil fuels versus batteries versus renewables, which brings in the electric vehicles, the power grid, windmills, solar panels. Be careful. These investments have been pushed by governments with an agenda. They got way too frothy, and governments and states like California, like New York, like countries in Europe, they make rules about what type of energy you're going to be able to use, what types of vehicles you're going to be able to drive, and look what's happened in Europe. They're now burning more coal than they have in years. And the reason I'm saying this is not to point out how horrible energy policy's been, but if that is part of your assessment investment strategy, I would say to err on the side of caution that Mr. Toyota, ahead of Toyota, read his article in the Wall Street Journal about a week ago. I really do think that certain sectors are just overinvested. We talked yesterday, Dom, about coal and, and those, uh, the performance of those stocks. Quick last word, Dom, uh, to you before we go. So, so the last word is, I mean, to echo this whole idea, that this, this is not a sense of panic right now. You don't get the sense right now that investors are selling this because they have to. They're selling this because there's a revaluation taking place. Uh, to, to Rick's point about solar energy and you know, all those other risky places in the market, this has also been a time for people to reassess what their profiles are. They, they kind of understand that there's possible losses at play during certain time periods and time frames. If you're not comfortable with those, then a financial advisor shouldn't be, have you in some of these investments to begin with. And if you are, this is an opportunity to build a portfolio at discount prices. Utilities. I still think back to what Kevin Mon told us the other day. <laughs> Go with the monopoly. I don't know if that counts as energy, uh, but it's a monopoly. Guys, thank you. Jason Brady, Rick Santelli, Dominic Chu. We appreciate it. Still ahead, coin down more than 4% as the fallout from FTX continues. But my next guest, speaking of stock picking, she says stick with it. That coin's a good long-term play once the dust settles, she sees the stock going up to $200 versus 33 right now. Plus, Apple's down more than 4%, but it's outperformed the other fang names this year. And one of our guests says this is the stock you want to own in 2023. He'll tell us why. As we head to break, here's a look at the market picture. The Dow is down 722 points right now. Uh, that's 2.1%, 2.7% drop for the S&P, 3773. The Nasdaq's down 3.5%. We're back after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. 
This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried is currently in the federal courthouse in Lower Manhattan for his initial court appearance here in the U.S. This after two of his lieutenants, former Alameda CEO Carolyn Ellison and FTX co-founder Gary Wang, both pled guilty to federal fraud charges. Now, the FTX fallout has crushed the crypto sector, including shares of Coinbase. They're down another 5.5% today to around $33 a share. But my next guest says the silver lining in this collapse is that it's flushed out bad actors in the space and a crypto winter is healthy in the long run. She's got a $200 price target on coin. Joining me now is Lisa Ellis, Senior Managing Director at SVB Moffitt Nathanson. Thank you for coming here in person as well, mm. especially for people who are going, what are you talking about? $200 <laughs> for Coinbase. You know, tell us why you still see such significant upside. Yeah, look, obviously it's a very rough period right now in crypto land. Um, but Coinbase, you have to remember, is a publicly listed, fully audited, fully regulated Western player. And, um, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? As this flushes out a lot of the bad behavior, a lot of the sort of unregulated activity happening around the world, the remaining players consolidate, will consolidate a lot of the strength in crypto onto them. And I think Coinbase is one of those players. What happens, though? I, I have to imagine Coinbase effectively trades with the amount of trading revenue on the platform. And if the interest in crypto has gone from, you know, has gone to a tenth of what it once was, isn't that a long term problem? I mean, it's a problem for now, for sure. But we've gone through these crypto winters before. Um, and you have to keep in mind that while we go through these crazy peaks, like Bitcoin, which is still currently sitting around $16,000, is still up 2x from where it was even three years ago, 4x from four years ago, right? It goes through these wild swings. But a company like Coinbase that's been around for more than a decade kind of knows how to run their business through those cycles. So, yes, revenues will be down, but they've also you know, brought down expenses, they've prioritized investments, and they've kind of, they're in it for the long run. They're sitting on $5 billion in cash wow. and really not burning through right now a meaningfully portion. They're negative, but maybe running $300, 500000000 million negative. So they can outlast this, even if it lasts through 2023, even into 2024. And to state the obvious, they've emphasized that they separately, they're separate custodians, yeah. I don't know how to, what's mm -hmm. the correct lingo is, of customer funds, right? So the big question has been, do people panic and pull their money off Coinbase and say, forget it, with these exchanges, but custodying your own crypto is very, very difficult. And so do you think they'll be able to kind of take that message to the to the client, to the customer, and say, your money is safe here. It's not going to be like these other platforms. Yeah, they, they should. I mean, they have obviously segregated accounts, as you would expect from a Western player. And uh, the SEC, you know, oversees this. So it's literally right there on their balance sheet and their filings. You can look at it. Now, 
certainly they're experiencing jitteriness from um, investors, particularly institutions, you know, that have to, you know, report back to their own LPs, right, who, um, you know, who are pulling back from the space. But they highlighted last quarter, we'll be curious to see what they say this quarter, that while a lot of their consumer investors are trading less, they're not pulling off the platform. They're just leaving the assets sort of sitting there for now while they kind of wait and wait this out. And to that point, can Coinbase then, I don't know if it's exactly like a bank, but can they take those funds, earn their own interest on it, and then, you know, try to kind of earn a profit that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, their revenue stream, which includes interest income, which is making money off of the assets that are sitting there on their platform, um, has jumped from only single digits of revenue back in 2021 to now is over 30% of revenue. Part of that, of course, is because the trading Everything else has come shrugged. down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but the important part is that it shows they are diversifying those revenue streams. And yeah, in a rising rate environment, they can benefit, you know, like any other bank can, where they can make money off the funds that are sitting there. Maybe we can show it on the screen as well. But what is it trading at in terms of the multiple today? And what would what does two? how do we get to $200 in terms of earnings that you foresee and, and what it, the multiple is at that point? Yeah. So we're looking out, you know, that's a one a one year price target where at that point you'll be, you know, looking at 2024 performance and even expecting a very modest recovery in crypto. So meaning assuming like this is as bad as it's going to get right now as we're dealing with the FTX collapse and the fallout. And it sort of stabilizes and maybe follows a similar pattern to what we saw in the last winter, which is 2017, 2018, um, on 2024 numbers, our numbers, which is, again, a very modest recovery. It's literally only two times EBITDA. <laughs> it's wow. that it's sold off that much. Right. Because didn't you used to have like a six hundred and fifty dollar price target? I feel like I remember talking about this. <laughs> so what, what is the big change from six fifty to two hundred? Just the lack or, or six hundred. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So six, when we initiated six hundred, right, that was in the peak. A lot of this is about just anticipating exactly how the cycle is going to look and the timing of that. At the time, we were, you know, pegging off of an expectation that the cycle would sort of sustain for a little bit longer. It didn't. It's come back. That's fine. We reset earlier in this year, like back in the spring of this year, once it was clear we were in the winter. And then now, like I said, we're just sort of watching, you know, and, and monitoring to see. But really, you know, you should be looking out at 2024. And if you believe that crypto as a technology will persist and will recover. Coinbase is really the only, you know, publicly listed asset that you can buy in the space. So I wouldn't necessarily recommend a major position in Coinbase. But if you have a long-term time horizon like that, this is an unbelievably attractive entry point. Quick final word. I know we have to go. But does it all come back to the Fed? I mean, is this all just a reflection of those liquidity conditions, both for interest in crypto and obviously for the performance of a, of a company yeah. like Coinbase? Yeah, certainly because it's a, you know, a, a high growth kind of long dated asset like every other asset like that. It suffers in a rising rate environment. And so some stability in the rate environment out in 2023 will also help. In addition, we're looking for some regulatory clarity in the U.S., um, hoping that maybe in 2023, at a minimum, we see stablecoin regulation and things like that. That'll kind of, again, allow institutional investors to start kind of uh, dipping their toe yeah. back in. No one say, now, that sounds reasonable. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> it goes 200. It's not, it requires a strong stomach, yes. that's for sure. <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much. It's Thanks, good to Kelly. see you. Good Lisa Ellis. Coming up, the markets giveth and the markets taketh away. Stocks are erasing yesterday's 
gains and then some with the Nasdaq down three and a half percent. But one portfolio manager says now is the time to buy. Look at Apple down 3.6 percent, sitting right at 130 bucks. He'll tell us why now is the time. And as we head to break, the Dow's down 731 points and there is not a single stock in the green right now. You can see the outperformer, if you call it that, Procter & Gamble. Nike's still up there as well. Worst performer today is Intel on those chip oversupply concerns. We're back after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome back to The Exchange. We are putting in session lows right now with the Dow down 763 points. The S&P down 110 or almost 2.9 percent and the Nasdaq down more than 3.6 percent. Pretty ugly afternoon here. A lot of concerns about the chip cycle spark things off. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's get to Tyler Matheson, though, for our CNBC News update. Tyler. All right, Kelly, thank you very much. And here's what's happening at this hour. Ukrainian President Zelensky met with Poland's leader on his way back from his historic trip to Washington. The two leaders discussed U.S support for Ukraine and bilateral relations going into the new year. NASA astronauts are installing a new solar, solar power array on the International Space Station. The work was delayed by a day because of maneuvers to avoid space debris. Spacewalk expected to last some seven hours. And Kelly, that's the news at this hour. Back to you. Tyler, stay with us because we have to get to one more headline today. A very, very sad one. Longtime friend and frequent guest here on CNBC, Scott Minard of Guggenheim Partners, passed away unexpectedly yesterday. He died from a heart attack during his regular workout. Guggenheim CEO Mark Walter released a statement saying, quote, I have known Scott for over 30 years and we were partners much of that time. Scott was a key innovator and thought leader who was instrumental in building Guggenheim investments into the global business it is today. He will be greatly missed by all. My deepest condolences are with his husband, family, and loved ones. And Tyler, obviously, we had Scott on so many times. He was a lovely, wonderful person. This is just such tragic news. He was so generous with his time to CNBC and to all of us. And I know we all uh, feel like we had a personal relationship with him. Uh, he was clear spoken. He, he was unafraid to say what he thought. Uh, and above all, I will remember him as being a very generous soul who, who would uh, would carve out time for you to explain things to you. And you can probably see from these from these photographs, he was a workout uh, uh, freak, I guess is what I would say. He was a massive man. And to shake his hand was to know you were you were you were shaking hands with with a rock. That's man. true. He was one big dude. No, we will really miss him. Um, our condolences to his family, to his friends, to the firm. Um, he will be very, very dearly missed. Yes, indeed. We'll be back after. This. Thanks, Kelly. Welcome back, everybody. The Dow testing an almost 800-point decline today. The S&P in a bear market, down 20% from its highs. And the Nasdaq, the day's biggest laggard. The Nasdaq is only 3% from its 52-week lows. How much longer will the pain last, and how do you position here? Let's ask Delano Sapporo. He's New Street Advisor, CEO, and a CNBC contributor. And Delano, I'll ask you the question to begin with. It might sound obvious, but why are we down so much today? 
Happy holidays, Kelly. Um, yeah, that it, it was surprising yesterday when we kind of, kind of had a big jump. Um, but there's some clear reasons in my mind why we're down today. If you still look at it, even though we had the surprise com consumer confidence number yesterday, um, inflation is still outpacing wages. We still have a record eight straight months below 60 on the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index. And so yesterday's rally was kind of a surprise to me. If you look at some of the, you know, the macroeconomic numbers, especially on the consumer side, it shows that we're kind of weakening in that area. You see inflation adjusted, you know, retail sales were, are negative and it's pointing to a consumer that's getting weaker. If you look at some of the things that's happening in the auto market, um, we're seeing, you know, foreclosed, excuse me, we're seeing uh, repossessions happen at a much higher rate. Um, and so I think, you know, investors are kind of re level setting, you know, how optimistic we are on what's going to be happening in the very near term and that the consumer may be weakening a little bit. Yeah. And Delano, do you think part of it is kind of what do they call it? The, um, the bullwhip effect, right, where we've gone from, you know, having these huge shortages in things like chips and autos to now potentially being on the flip side of that. And, and from that vantage, you can see where the deflationary pressures come from. Yeah, 100 percent. And and that would be obviously, you know, playing to even further with, you know, deteriorating demand. So if you're having obviously less, you know, less shortages, you're having inventories higher and not having an inventory glut. And then you have potentially weakening demand. That definitely plays a point to it. And then we saw, obviously, um, something that could be, you know, offsetting this with um, the numbers that we saw with the initial jobless claims right. coming in. So so a lot of that coming into to play here. But, you know, this is an outsized move and investors kind of putting pressure on, on stocks right now. And I will talk in, in just one second. You have some particular ideas, but does it give you pause when someone like David Tepper says, yeah, maybe I'd be leaning short in this environment. Don't don't bet against the Fed, basically. And now they're going the other the other way. Yes, it, it does. Um, and and for, for myself, you know, I've been saying kind of just still, you know, pausing for the next two or three months, at least, you know, to taking large positions that are bullish. Um, people can still nibble at stocks and, and buy areas that have, that have weakened. And we're going to talk about those names. But, you know, betting right now, um, in the end of 2022, in the first quarter of 2023, that we're going to have a, a bull run. I don't think there'll, there'll be that Christmas rally in my estimation, but it's yet to be seen. But that would be my guess. All right. And I just want to mention, we're about to get some uh, news, Delano. You like United Health Group. You like Match. You like Apple. You wouldn't uh, be a fan of DR Horton here. Uh, Apple in particular, you think, is the one to own? Yeah, I think all three of them are, are one to one. If you look at Apple specifically, uh, the one in the Fang names, the and the Fang names that have performed, you know, kind of the best. Um, obviously, relatively speaking, it's still underperforming um, year to date and, and lower year to date. Uh, but if you look at, you know, the, the numbers they put in their last quarter were still strong. They've actually overcome some of the detractions uh, when it came to supply issues and, and, and demand deterioration. They've overcome that. They put up some record-setting numbers last quarter. I think they're building in services and subscription really, really well here, even if they fell out of the bid um, uh, for, for an NFL Sunday ticket. There's still um, yeah. strong points to Apple here. And holding that as kind of a defensive play, but also a growth play, I think will build well in the later half of 2023 for investors. That is a strange-looking one-year stock chart, I will say. It kind of tells you the kind of chopping market environment we've been in. Delano, we'll leave it there. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. Delano Sapporo. We are getting breaking news out of Sam Bankman-Fried's initial court appearance here in the U.S. Mackenzie Segalos with the headlines. Mackenzie. Hey, Kelly. So that hearing just wrapped up in the Southern District of New York. We know that the judge uh, released Bankman Freed on $250 million on a $250 million reconnaissance bond. Now, to secure that, his parents had to co-sign with him. They also did put up equity in the parents' home in Palo Alto in terms of next steps. Bankman Freed's going to have to live with his parents in that house on the West Coast by tomorrow. He's going to have to have an electronic monitor added to his ankle. So he's either got to do that in the Southern District of New York 
or take care of it in Northern California. Other details here, he has to surrender his passport. He can't leave the country. His travel is also restricted to the Northern uh, District of California. Uh, he's not allowed to open any new lines of credit here, and he has to submit to a mental health counsel counselor. Um, other things that we're, I'm hearing, his parents were in attendance. They seemed uh, supportive, also quite nervous about next steps. Uh, Bateman Freed seen in a blue suit and tie, that probably that same blue suit we've seen him in all week. Uh, he didn't interact with his attorney, but we did hear from his American defense attorney, Mark Cohen, who said that they agreed to all of these bail conditions. Uh, so that's where we are right now. Still waiting to firm up whether uh, what, what his plea was to those eight criminal charges. Wow. Mackenzie, thank you for all of those details. Uh, the latest chapter in the Sam Bankman fried saga are Mackenzie Segalos reporting. Still ahead, it is looking like a blue Christmas for this sector, falling nearly 13 percent in December. And one expert says they'll be facing a perfect storm for the foreseeable future. That's next here on The Exchange. Dow's down 742. Welcome back. Dow's down 740 points. Let's get some show and tell where we show you a chart and tell the story. It's the holidays, but December has not been a merry one for retailers. The retail ETF, the XRT, that was our mystery chart, falling nearly 13% just this month. And the former CEO of both J. Crew and Gap, Mickey Drexler, told Squawk Box that one of the biggest retail headwinds is too much inventory, and he doesn't see that problem going away anytime soon. Listen. Most of the goods were placed nine months ago. Business was good then. Uh, there were supply chain issues then, which there are no longer. And I think all of us got a little too uh, buoyant about uh, the future. Uh, and a perfect storm happened. Uh, in October, business slowed. And uh, therefore, inventories climbed. Uh, and uh, so I'm not very optimistic well, neither are the markets right now as we are just off session lows. We've turned lower for the week with this 2.2% drop for the Dow. The Nasdaq's down 3.4%. We're talking about the worst losses since early October. We'll have more on this sell-off straight ahead. Welcome back. Stocks are lower for the first time in three days and in a big way. Dow's down 729 points. Disappointing chip earnings weighing on stocks big time is the Santa Claus rally in jeopardy. Let's bring in Bob Bassani from the New York Stock Exchange and Steve Leisman to discuss what's next with the economy. Gentlemen, welcome. Bob, what gives today? Well, uh, look, the problem is very simple. Just look at the S&P 500. It's down two and a half percent. But big chip names, including Micron and NVIDIA, they're down six, seven, eight, nine percent. This tells you there's a major problem with Micron. So with Micron, they're a big bellwether in the tech area. These DRAM chips they make, they're in everything. They're in cell phones, they're in PCs, uh, they're in data centers. So we were expecting them to say inventory's under control and we've got everything. You're back covered in 2023. And instead, inventory is not under control. You can blame Samsung if you want. They keep producing. But what's happening now is the street is realizing there's way too much inventory still and they're reducing. They're going to be reducing their earnings estimates for the chips and a lot of other pieces uh, of the tech sector in 2023. Steve, what would you say? So the, the sort of economic connections I see here are actually about this larger question and moving from shortages to oversupply. We're here. We're seeing it in chips. Starting to hear people talk a lot about it in autos. Is it going to spread? It's supposed to be getting better. I mean, everything I've read about the supply chain is that things are 
are, are improving. But I, I, I would point, I, I, I'm not taking away from what Bob is saying is animating this market, but I would point to the GDP numbers this morning, Kelly, where, uh, you know, out of the box, we got an upward revision to third quarter growth. And, you know, the Federal Reserve's trying to slow this economy down. And the only way it feels it's going to get inflation under control is to run the economy below potential. I think the market saw good news, read it as bad news, and decided to turn tail and go the other way before the holiday set in. Bob, what would you add to that? Well, I, it, it, yes, uh, we did take a little tick down on the GDP numbers. Interestingly, we took a little flake down on the LEI numbers, too, <laughs> which is a little bit hard to explain. They were a little bit worse than expected. So the problem is what side of the recession debate are you on? If you're on the soft landing side, Earnings for most of the street now are flat for the S&P 500, but there's a substantial harder uh, decline crowd that's out there. And most of these strategists have estimates down about five, six, seven, eight percent. And I fear with this Micron thing, they're going to even go down towards the 10 percent. Now you start talking about a more serious earnings recession, 10 to 20 percent in earnings down from the prior year. That's a That's an earnings recession. I see. So that's got people more concerned. And Steve, speaking of leading indicators, Rick also mentioned the yield curve a little while ago. I think he was talking twos, tens in particular. It's improved by like 30 basis points lately. So I don't know. People are kind of hinting maybe that points to to this idea that with all this momentum slowing so much, will the Fed uh, be pretty close to the end here? I mean, that's sort of the thing that Tepper was leaning heavily against this morning. He's a little bit confused why the market has decided to ride the Fed train on the way up, but it got off at the top of the mountain and decided to (laughs) walk its own way down and find its own route is probably the best way to think about it. Uh, You know, Tepper came on Squawk this morning and said, basically, what are you people thinking? The Fed told you where it's going. Why is it you're so smart and think the Fed's going to go elsewhere? Not only that, but he points out what, what I've been trying to say, which is, I think I said it on your show yesterday, Kelly, Lagarde went max hawkish, right? Yes. She went and said she's going to do 50s for the next three meetings or so. And so you got a German 10-year Bund trading at 250, um, and, and Lagarde's going to 3%, you know? So yeah. go figure. The same thing in the United States, the two years trading at 425, and it's hard to understand why it's not 480. But I wonder... Um, and what's kind yeah. of interesting about... I was just going to say what's kind of interesting about this is the stock market seems to really believe the Fed. Yes. And it's the bond market that thinks it knows better, so here's which my is new, not usually what happens. Here's my new theory, Bob. What do you think? Is it that, that the, they're getting to 425 from us going up to five and then cutting 75, right? Like, are, is it getting, is, and is the stock yeah. market telling us right. it's going to be so bad that the Fed is going to go all the way to five or whatever their, their end goal is and then have to abruptly reverse course because the data is going to deteriorate so quickly? Well, now you're in a hole of mirrors really trying to figure this out. Look, the Fed has said higher for longer. And Steve's right. Why shouldn't we believe them? Why shouldn't we say they stop at 5% and they're still at 5% at this time of last next year, which is what nobody wants to believe, I think. And that's part of, of the cognitive dissonance everybody's got about this. I'll tell you how I know that the street's clueless. I see ridiculously wide dispersion <laughs> of opinions on where stocks are going. I know people who have year-end 2023 targets of 3,600 on the S&P. I know people who have 4,600. That sure. is, you can drive a truck through that. I know people who have $60 oil, and I know people who have $120 oil. What, 
that is meaningless, a dispersion of opinions. Usually it's much, much tighter. That tells me the street really doesn't have a clue exactly what's going to be going on right now. And that's why I get very humble about making prognostications Steve, when you see that kind of split in opinions. Steve, what do you think about my reversal theory that they're, they're going up there, but they're going to have to quickly uh, climb back? Well, that's what the market has priced in. If you put up that Fed rate outlook again, you see that the market has, you know, the market has to deal with po possibilities that the Fed may not have to. But you, you put it in there and you see what they get up to 498. They don't even get to where they the market doesn't even price the Fed getting above 5 percent. And then they cut 60 basis points on the backside of that. What's weird about that is Powell has told you specifically that's not what's going to happen. Mary Daly has said that's not going but to happen. But he's been wrong, that, she spoke Steve. For the remember, committee. remember when he first started and it was all about, I think it was rate hikes that he had to turn around. It was during the Trump era, right? And Trump was like, you're going to cut rates. No, we're not. Yes, we are. So he's been wrong before. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. But, but the thing is that he also told you he was going to raise aggressively and he did 475 basis point rate hikes. Um, they, they may be wrong about it, but... But I just don't think you got You can be cavalier about it. And, yeah. and, and at least the Fed could have the inflation story all wrong. I'm just saying this is where the Fed has told you where it's going to go. This is where the ECB has told you where it's going to go. And I think you make a bet against it with some sense of the risk involved there. Sure. Um, I, I don't know what it's going to do. I certainly think that if you're betting on 60 basis points of rate cuts next year, it's a tough bet to make. You have to have an awfully secure version of how inflation is going to come down and, and yeah. feel good about betting on it. If, if the market was so sure about this, Kelly, I think the market would be rallying based on rate cuts. I think they're, rallying, they're, 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 they're selling on two things, rates that are too high, rates, uh, growth that's too high or higher than the Fed wants it, the belief the Fed is going to come in and do what it says it's going to do, and then three, the idea that that may be a mistake and cause a recession, I think that's the one, two, three yeah. of what's happening in these markets these days. No, totally. And that's how you get the Dow down 730 points, guys. We'll leave it there. Steve Leisman, Bob Bassani, a huge okay. thank you, as always. Still ahead, dangerous winter weather impacting millions of Americans all the way from the Midwest up to Maine, already impacting thousands of flights as well. Airline stocks falling today. We'll have the latest next on The Exchange. Welcome back. One more thing before we go. Airline stocks, part of the big sell-off today. You've got American down more than 5% as winter weather rips across the country, already causing chaos at some airports. Let's get out to NBC News' correspondent Shaq Brewster. He's got on the front lines in Illinois. Shaq? Hi there. Well, we've been watching this storm make its way through Illinois, through Chicago right now. I want you to take a look at the conditions on the road right now. Things are okay, but officials are warning that this is going to change dramatically as we go through the afternoon hours into the evening. At issue is, yes, the snow that you see. And you see the roads are pretty clear right now. We've seen a lot of snowplow trucks and salt trucks on the road here. But the temperatures are going to drop dramatically. We've noticed that Dro temperatures dropping about 15 degrees 
since I started reporting this morning. And then there is the wind. And the concern is that the wind with the snow will cause those whiteout conditions and lead to treacherous conditions on the road. You're also seeing delays and cancellations by the thousands um, in, in the airlines. And that's the concern that they're seeing as this winter storm continues to make its way through. Yeah, Shaq, thank you. We expect to hear more uh, even in the next 24 to 48 hours as the fallout at 18 degrees, the high here on Saturday. That does it for the exchange. Power Lunch picks up coverage of today's market sell-off, and it starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.